In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The first verse, excuse me, the ninth verse of the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to St. John. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Um, at uh, previous two services, I preached on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God as a summary of all of Jesus' message. Uh, but this particular service is baptism and confirmation. So um, I'm going to preach in a different way, um, especially uh, preaching to those who are being baptized and confirmed um, so that you might, I hope, better understand what it is that you're committing to and how it is that we are different and called to be different from the world. Um, it is said that the number one reason for not being a Christian um, is that I've never met one. Okay? Um, it's said that the number two reason um, for not being a Christian is that I have met some. <laughs> we, we, we laugh nervously about this. Uh, this. This is not good news <laughs> for those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Um, a British interviewer once um, spoke with, uh, with Mahatma Gandhi, um, the liberator and often called the father of modern India. Um, the, the interviewer asked why it was that Gandhi didn't become a Christian. And uh, Gandhi's response was, I follow your Jesus, I love your Jesus, but so many Christians are so unlike Jesus. It's a heavy indictment. And I want us, in the context of this baptism and confirmation service, to think about this and perhaps why it might be. Now, why is it, why is it that we're so unpopular? <laughs> this, this is a day and an age when we're terribly, as Christian people, discredited. You know, y'all know that this isn't, this, this isn't news. Um, at times we're scorned and rejected. I want to suggest to you that there are two reasons for this. Um, one is a reason that's stated very plainly in Scripture, and in fact, it's a very good reason. If you were to look at the 15th chapter of John's Gospel, and you heard it as the Gospel reading last Sunday, what you didn't hear were the next couple of verses after that passage on the Father has loved me, 
so I have loved you, abide in my love. What Jesus says in verses 18 to 20 of chapter 15 of John's gospel is this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, it were, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will, kept, they will keep your word. Um, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Okay, there's a, there, there's a natural enmity between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Okay. Uh, this morning's reading from the Acts of the Apostles tells us that Jesus... Um, during the period of the resurrection from the time of Easter Day to Ascension Day was teaching about the kingdom of God. And brothers and sisters, I assure you that what he was teaching about was something that looked very different than the kingdom of this world. The world hates our Father. Again, it's in rebellion. <laughs> Right? The world's in rebellion, so if you do it his way, you're not going to be very popular. I suggest to you that so much of what we stand for in terms of the way in which we're called to live and be and construct our lives and society, which conforms to the Father's will, is well, it condemns the world, and the world doesn't like condemnation. Again, the world hates our Savior, our kingdom, our method. Remember Jesus in John 12 speaking about his being lifted up on the cross? He says, now is the ruler of this world judged. Now is the ruler of this world cast out. I mean, Jesus is to go to a cross because that's how the world deals with God and God's will. Got the picture? So there's a good reason for the world not liking us very much. Okay, so I, I want to suggest that first because that's the biblical word. But then there's a second problem we have, okay? Um, and the second problem is that most of the time we behave more like the world than like Jesus, okay? Uh, the world really hates hypocrites, right? And we get called that pretty frequently, sometimes because we are, okay? We talk 
often a good line, but we don't walk that line. Recently, I heard a story, and some of you uh, may have seen a report of this story, uh, of a congregation that was to be protested um, by some gay activists. Okay? They were told ahead of time that um, folks who really felt the church was doing them wrong and um, treated them abysmally, they wanted to stand outside and protest. The, the story goes that what happened was the pastor learning of it actually called the leader up and said, don't protest outside, come in and tell us what you want to tell us. We'll receive you and we'll hear you. It's not that their mind was to be changed, but their behavior was so different from the way the world deals with those who oppose. The protesters came and they spoke and so many of them said that what it was like to be received there was like something they'd never experienced before. <laughs> they were received and they were heard. And despite the fact that the congregation didn't agree, they were loved. And that, brothers and sisters, is at the heart of the matter. Why is it that we behave and think and often even love like the world? You know, when we love, we sometimes ask, what's in it for me? That's not what Jesus did. That's not the love the Father has for his Son, or his Son has for us, or we are to have for one another. Now, to the problem of our not getting it right, it's okay if the world hates us, um, despises us, uh, doesn't want anything to do with us because we're doing it like Jesus asked us to do it. But why is it that so often we do it not like Jesus asked for us to do it, but like the world does it? Um, scripture and tradition both give reasons for this um, and, and give us answers. And the simple and direct answer, and this is what I really want to say to you who are being baptized and confirmed and to all the congregation that's here to listen in. The simple and direct answer is that we prefer to operate in our heads as over against our hearts. We'd rather be right than loving, wouldn't we? We get drawn into all kinds of arguments with the world, and we attempt to reason the world into a place that it will take our gospel. But actually, we can't outsmart the world, but we can outlove the world.
And that's why Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Now, there's an absolutely wonderful, um, well, there are lots of wonderful things that came from the 14th century. Uh, you probably don't hear about them all the time, um, but I'm fond of going there, but that won't surprise you since I'm, you know, kind of the retro guy that I am. Um, in the fourth chapter of a book called The Cloud of Unknowing, Ann Payton's over there, she's shaking her head, she knows where I'm going. Um, the author who's an anonymous, his name is not known, he writes this, and he's a British author, and you'll see how that ties into who we are and what we do and how we worship in just a moment. Uh, he writes, all rational beings, angels and men, possess two faculties, the power of knowing and the power of loving. To the first, to the intellect, God who made them is forever unknowable. God is so much bigger than our minds. We cannot know him with our minds. But what the author of The Cloud of Unknowing says, but to the second, to love, he is completely knowable. And that by every separate individual, so much so that one loving soul by itself, through its love, may know for itself him who is incomparably more than sufficient to fill all souls that exist. Okay. The, the clue here is, if you want to do it God's way, you're going to operate more in your heart than in your head. Not that the head or the intellect is a bad thing. Far from it. But friends, our purpose is not to assess God. <laughs> it's to love God. And there is a vast difference. The world operates in one way, and we keep going on the world's terms, and it gets us nowhere. You all are being baptized and confirmed or saying, you're going to turn away from the world and the way it is, from evil, from the rebellion. And you're going to turn toward Jesus Christ and follow him as your Savior and Lord. Um, the author of The Cloud of Unknowing, um, and, and this is marvelously significant, um, he begins his work with this prayer. I think you'll find it quite familiar. God, he writes, unto whom all hearts are open, unto whom all wills do speak, from whom no secret thing is hidden, I beseech thee so to cleanse the purpose of my heart with the unutterable gift of thy grace that I may perfectly love thee and worthily praise thee. Amen. What's the prayer? Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. We start our liturgy that way. Incidentally, that prayer is by the tradition originally um, attributed to the monk, the British monk Alcuin, for the occasion of the coronation of Charlemagne. <laughs> 
praying that his heart might have perfect thoughts, whereas his head might not. And what will I sing in just a little bit? I won't sing, lift up your heads or your minds. I will sing, lift up your hearts. The whole of Scripture is actually an address to the heart. And again, the mind follows. But friends, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, it's a matter not of what we think, but of what and whom we love. As you make baptismal promises or promises in confirmation where you want the Holy Spirit to be stirred up to live this life in this new kingdom, in this new world order. It's about what you love and how you love, not about what you think. Was that congregation that I described that received the gay activists into their midst, though they disagreed with the premise, was that one in a hundred congregations or one in a thousand? And what would we be like? Scripture, even the Old Covenant, remember how Lent begins, um, rend your hearts and not your garments, or love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and your neighbor as yourself. Again, the mind is for loving God and just being amazed by what he's done. But again, it's not for assessing him. It's not so much about our thinking right, though that's important, as it is about our loving right. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That, brothers and sisters, is the assignment. We will never convince the world that what we do makes sense. Remember St. Paul himself the beginning of 1 Corinthians says that the word of the cross is folly, <laughs> foolishness to those outside. Okay? Right there in scripture. We can't, we can't, we can't convince them by our heads. Ah, brothers and sisters but we can convince them by our hearts. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and my task as the apostle in this place is to stir that Holy Spirit up for those who are being confirmed so that 
in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live the way Jesus lived and love the way Jesus loved. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we're supposed to do as Christians. It's why there is another kingdom, a kingdom of God. God loved us so much. Yes, he understood us. But far more important than that, he loved us. And we are to love like he loves. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be agents of this coming kingdom until he comes again. Amen.